Well, tonight, if you would turn your Bibles with me, if you have a copy of God's Word, to 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Seven verses tonight, and there was a little bit of confusion regarding my sermon title tonight. I don't know if you ever read the titles in the bulletin. It's okay if you don't. Uh, I don't work real hard on them. I do think about them, and sometimes I have a little fun, and I had a little fun with this one. The God who floats loans and axe heads. And uh, it may be concerning some that uh, God is in the banking business. Of course, he's not. Uh, thank God he doesn't, uh, we don't owe interest on any debt we may have. He forgives us as we trust in Christ. Uh, but we come to a, a story tonight that uh, may seem a little out of place, but it was included by the very Spirit of God in Holy Scripture, and we must trust it's for good reason. Beginning in chapter 6, verse 1. And the sons of the prophets said to Elisha, Behold now, the place before you where we are living is too limited for us. Please let us go to the Jordan, and each of us take from there a beam, and let us make a place there for ourselves where we may live. So he said, go. Then one said, please be willing to go with your servants. And he answered, I shall go. So he went with them and they came to the Jordan and cut down trees. Now it happened that as one was felling a beam, the axe head fell into the water and he cried out and said, alas, my master, for it was borrowed. Then the man of God said, where did it fall? And when he showed him the place, he cut off a stick and threw it in there and made the iron float. And he said, take it up for yourself. So he sent forth his hand and took it. Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this little true story. We pray that you might fulfill your purposes for recording it in Scripture tonight for us, for our instruction, for our encouragement, and for the continuance of our faith in these days. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, an axe head floating. It seems so fascinating, so interesting, but so out of place. Here we are. And these great stories about Elisha. We've had a story of a man being cleansed of his leprosy. That's amazing. And we've had stories of Elisha um, in chapter 4, healing stew and so forth. And and these are days of of great evil and apostasy and evil. And, And we have Elisha, this great servant of God. And then we have this story about some of the The prophets who are with Elisha, the men, uh, being concerned about limited space, and one's borrowed an axe head, and it drops in the water, and Elijah makes it float. What do we do with this? I'm sure there's a lot that can be done with this. Dale Ralph Davis, in his commentary, gives us a few examples of what he thinks is abuse. 
Uh, preachers can make a lot out of a story like this, and you can allegorize it and make it into all kinds of things, and I'm sure uh, some have. But I hope you'll see tonight that what I try to do is I st- try to stick to what is plain, what is clear, and to look with you at some pastoral applications. I have to tell you that I'm very grateful for this text tonight. I think I, I, need, I needed this text tonight. I think I need to hear this word. So I don't know if any of you do. I do. I'm sure you do. But I'm grateful that God would have us with this little story. And I think it's convicted me and it encourages me at the same time. I want to try to help you understand why. This is in Israel in the north. Remember, these are days and not exactly characterized by love for God or love for his word. Remember in the previous chapter when Naaman the Aramean, the, the commander of the Aramean armies, uh, had leprosy, and the king of the Arameans sent to the king of Israel that the king of Israel didn't even think to call upon God or to call upon the servant of God, the man of God, Elisha. These are godless days in Israel, the people of God. And we know this has been going on for a while. That This is the territory that still has the remnant, if you will, or the influence of that evil woman Jezebel and that wicked king Ahab. And that the people, in fact, not only uh, had to go along with it, they also apparently loved the idolatry. They're discouraging days, if you will, that Elisha ministered in. He's been used of God in tremendous ways, but we should be impressed with how little impact it's apparently made on the nation. Even though Elisha is clearly a man of God, powerful, even though many have perhaps heard of the healing of Naaman and that story has gotten around, even though these incredible stories have gotten around, still there is a general malaise, indifference to the word of God and a love for the world, the things of the world, the ways of the world, the gods and the idols of the world. The people sin and they love it. The false prophets speak falsehood and God says later, my people love it so. I don't think it's dramatic to make parallels in our, common, our current day with this time in Israel. Not so much as a nation. Clearly, our nation, the United States, is, is at this point a godless nation, loves what is wicked. It's, it's certainly running ahead of Sodom and Gomorrah in its love for perversion. But our concern more is the people of God. Israel of old was the covenant people of God. This was the nation that God had entered into covenant with, and they're turning from God, and they have been for some time. And You know that I frequently refer to the church, and I am referring to the evangelical church. And again, there are are good brothers and sisters, good churches in our area that love Christ, preach God, but they are few. And the kind of nonsense that goes on in your average evangelical Christian church is, is alarming. And as I shared this morning, you really have in our day a quiet or not so quiet, turning from the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because if you no longer preach and teach the judgment of God for sin and the doctrine of hell, whatever you mean by the word gospel is another gospel. It's not the gospel of Christ. 
For Jesus came to save sinners, and on the cross, he experienced hell for us. And you really do have, I I am not overstating, I wish I was, but what you have in our day is a peddling of a form of the word of God and really the manufacturing of a psychological, happy, uh, here to make your life better God that the scriptures don't even know. And so we live in days where there is great perversion in the professing, confessing church. Just think of how little concern there is, hunger there is for the word of God. Um, you know, it would be one thing if, if there were many evening services tonight, and then we would say, well, the attendance tonight is nothing really to be discouraged about. I'm not discouraged by it, but we should remember that there are well over 100,000 people that live in this area. We know there are very few church services today, and relatively speaking, how many people who even profess Christ have any desire to hear his word or hear it taught, maybe more than maybe once a week at most. These are days in which there is very little interest in the things of God and the word of God among those who even profess to be among Christ's people. So I think we have a lot uh, we can understand these days. Those who are ministers and pastors, I think that we can relate to these days. Elisha is a faithful man. He is, he is the man of God in his generation. He's not the only prophet, but God in his sovereign will has chosen to elevate the leadership of Elisha. He is the mouthpiece of God in this generation to his people. But there is accompanying him, uh, there are uh, other men who are love God and love his word. They're among the remnant that more than that rather that least 7,000 that have not bowed the knee to Baal and maybe their sons they are few they are they are um, meager I think that's a fair word Uh, the whole land is is gone after idols and false forms of worship the name of the Lord Yahweh is used in the worship but anyone who's heard the law of God through Moses knows that whatever's going on in Bethel and other places is far from any kind of worship of the one and true living God. And so they gravitate towards Elisha, the man of God, and around him begins to form, if you will, kind of a seminary. Maybe we would think it that way, but a school of prophets. They are, they are a few men who love God, love his word, recognized the truth uh, of God and represented in Elisha, the man of God. And so they are, they are difficult, dark days. There are few men. And in the light of that, verse 1, what they say to Elisha is both encouraging and a bit pathetic. Now, I'm not making any kind of judgment upon what they say. Not my point at all. It's just to help us understand their day and also our day. This is encouraging. Uh, Elisha has around him a, a group of men, and perhaps their families, who are attending to the word of God, who want to serve Yahweh, who want to advance the word and the ministry, as it were. And, and it's good news, if you will, verse 1. Numbers are increasing. 
the place, they say, before which we are living is too limited for us. Now, some might say that's complaining. That's reading into the text. They're just stating the truth. Um, Apparently, the numbers are increasing, and I take it to mean that the place where they are living is too limited. There's not enough space. They need a church building project, right? And, and there's, this, there's this sense of, wow, this is great. God is still in this evil and perverse generation, causing his word to go forward, and they're growing in number, and this is good. And it is, and there's no diminishing that. Don't hear, don't hear me diminishing that. It's significant. It's good. God is preserving his word and his people through his word in dark and evil and perverse days. And yet you step back, and you have to acknowledge that in the scheme of international politics, never mind that, even in the scheme of Israel, it's rather pathetic. What I mean by that is they're a small, meager band. It's not impressive. And no offense, but neither are you tonight. I'm so glad you're here. But think about it. Look how small we are. You say, Pastor, you're not supposed to do that. I'm doing it. In light of all of the people in this area and, and what we're talking about tonight, God and his worship, we are a small, meager little band. And so are other faithful churches in our area where there are God's people who meet in the morning or evening, whatever it is. I'm not, my point is not about evening service. But my point is, whether it's morning or evening, relatively speaking, in comparison to the population and the size of the professing church, those who truly love God, revere God, love his word, are pathetically few. That's, that's where I minister. Is that where you live and worship? And you say, that's, that's discouraging. Uh, no. Uh, I don't think so. And first of all, if you're basing your encouragement or discouragement in ministry on the basis of numbers and you're ministering in New England and New Hampshire, you're going to be out of the ministry within a matter of years. You have to fix your eyes on the greatness of God and the sovereignty of God in Christ. And that's what keeps you going. So when I get the numbers, sometimes I, I, you know, it's good. We had, I don't know how many folks we had this morning. I was encouraging. We had a good number. And I'm encouraged by the number we had tonight. And I, I truly am encouraged. But that encouragement is always within the context of an overall context of this really is rather pathetic. This is not the way it should be. And it's not. The churches should be full. There should be congregations who are saying to their pastors, Pastor, we appreciated you taught the word this morning, um, whether it's tonight or sometime this week, uh, we want more. Because we're living in such dark and evil days, the way things are going and our children, we need more of the word of God. It's not happening, is it? So I can relate to these days. These are days that in which the ministry seems rather meager and small. And I don't think we should try to cover over that. It is what it is. And that's helpful when we're willing to face that and not you know, try to cover it up or to spruce it up and to make it look good. When we face it the way it is, we find encouragement. It's not discouraging. This is a very encouraging, tender text. 
Because first of all tonight, I want to point out that God is mindful of his meager word men. Now, I'm going to use that phrase, word men, and I'm going to include women. I think I'm here tonight, and I think the women here that are here tonight don't mind being included, upon, um, included in mankind, all right? So, I mean, if you want to add word men and word women, that's fine. But in the text here, these are some men, these are prophets, and these sons of the prophets said to Elisha, where we are living is too limited, And here we have, in the word of God, God recording this episode of this little meager band of true wordmen. In other words, what I mean by wordmen, sometimes you think of the word churchmen, or doormen, or I'm sure there's other phrases. Although those phrases are going out now, right? Can't be man anymore on the end of a word. That's... um, (laughs) that's, uh, well, that's not good, I guess, chauvinistic, but we're going to use it anyways. Uh, wordmen. What I mean by is these men love God, and because they love God, they love his word. That's the draw. That's why they're drawn to Elisha. It's not Elisha's charismatic personality. Elisha apparently hasn't written a book on seven key uh, keys to effective spiritual leadership. All Elisha is a man of God who's true, seeks the face of God, and speaks the word of God. And they're drawn to that. It's the word of God through Elisha that they're drawn to. They're wordmen. And they, in turn, they're sons of the prophets. They want to model and emulate that, in however poorly, however in, in, in comparison to Elisha, but they want to do what Elisha does. They want to be God's men. They are his wordmen. And in light of the culture, in light of the times, and it will become more evident in light of their resources, they are rather meager. They are rather little. And they bring a need to Elisha, the man of God. They suggest a proposal, a place to where to go get a beam. The closest area around to get some lumber is not Lowe's or Home Depot or uh, any other place you might go, but it is over by the Jordan where there's trees growing. So they got to go over and get some lumber. And Elisha says, verse 2, go. But one of them says, please be willing to go with your servants. Elisha, again, represents the presence of God among his people at this point. These are dark days. These men love God, and because they love God, they love Elisha. They're not idolizing Elisha. They just, they just want him to be with them. I think that's good. And he says in verse 3, I shall go. And so verse 4, he went with them. And the text ultimately is not about the greatness of Elisha. It's about the greatness of the God of Israel who gives Israel Elisha. He is the man of God. He is God's man, and therefore, he represents God in a unique way at this time. He went with them. He didn't have to go with them, I don't think. I don't know that Elisha at this point was particularly adept at cutting down trees or or dealing with lumber, but he goes with them. And I don't think it's reading too much into the text for us to see that this great man of God who's done amazing things, it's not below him to go with his men. 
and to be with them while they cut lumber for this relatively insignificant church building project. They're building homes, I understand, but in our terms, we think of it as a church building project. God is mindful of his wordmen and women. He's with them, goes with them. That's very encouraging, especially for those who minister in small places in New England. And by comparison, our church is very large to many uh, churches that I'm aware of in New England or in, in maybe out in more country areas and, and part of the, the nation. And there are faithful pastors who are serving in little places with 15 people in their congregation, 20 people in their congregation. And is there really any great significance to this ministry? Well, certainly not in the world's eyes, but in God's eyes, he's with them. He's with them. He's with them. No matter how meager they may be, no matter what their needs are, their lack of resources, and that's true of us. I'm actually very glad to be among the meager and the small because I find in Scripture that God tends to favor those. Those who are the small and the weak and the little, those are the ones that our God tends to mind. So I'm, I'm not afraid of being described or our church by some of those categories. God is mindful of his meager wordmen. Secondly, he hears the fears of his wordsmen, his wordmen. He hears their fears. This scene is, is really interesting. Um, they go and they cut down trees. Now, that's just great. That's in the Bible. They cut down trees. I like cutting down trees. I know some of you do, too. Uh, I know I've said it many times, but really, there's, there's, you know, just about my ideal Saturday is getting up, coffee, maybe someone's made some blueberry muffins, maybe, and, <laughs> oh, and they're warm and butter. Oh, yeah, that's great. And, and you, you actually don't have anything you have to do that day. And, uh, and the bugs aren't out yet. There's no bugs. It's not too cold. It's not too hot. It's just right. And you need firewood for next year. And you have a few trees in your mind that need to come down. You go out and you take your saw and you start sharpening that chain. And you put, put, put the oil mixture in and gas mixture in there. And it starts up the first time, <laughs> maybe the second. And uh, you go out and, and you're safe. You, you tell your significant other where you're going, where you're going to be. And, and the wind isn't blowing, so there isn't any danger of the tree falling where maybe it shouldn't be. And, and, and you, just, you just cut away. <laughs> oh, it's a good day. It's a great day. And, uh, well, I, I, I digress. What's that got to do? Oh, they cut down trees. Verse 4. See, it's in the Bible. They cut down trees. Uh, I'm sure we are to take care of, of God's creation, but you notice there it's in the Bible. It's okay to cut down trees and make lumber. Um, so they cut down trees, and they didn't have a chainsaw. They had axes. Now, they didn't have axes aplenty. Uh, iron was actually quite rare. 
particularly if uh, you were among the men who, who were not going along with the, the spirit of the age. And so you, these guys are on the out. These guys don't have the positions where they, they get paid well. They're not going along with the apostasy of the age. They're on the outside. They're the remnant. They're the ones who are looked down upon because they're, they're faithful to God and to his word. And so they're not men of means. In fact, we learn that one of the men had to borrow an axe. And think about it. You don't go down to the local hardware store and pick up some an axe and iron. You don't order it. I, I had a handle a few years ago that broke an axe my dad had given me, a nice little axe. And, and I felt bad that I had uh, broken the handle. It was my fault, not the handle. And I uh, wasn't careful, so I bought a new handle, and, and that was real fun last year, was uh, putting that axe head back to, on the hand, new handle, and, and I still use that if I walk out in the woods. And again, I digress, but uh, this text is there. It's axes and cutting down trees. It's good. And uh, so, so I was just able to order the handle, and I could have ordered the axe online if I wanted to, right? Not so with this man. You can't find an axe anywhere. The process of making iron is, is very costly, very expensive, and iron is still rather rare at this time. So he had to borrow it, verse 5. It was borrowed. Now, I bet the man wasn't eager to borrow. He probably knew, well, if I borrow it, something could go wrong, but, but he wanted to help out with this project. He wanted to help with the expansion of the the school of prophets and for the word of God. And so, so it was reasonable. He asked if he could borrow the axe head. And, you know, now some of us would say, see, you shouldn't borrow anything. That is not the meaning of the text. You're reading that in there. Okay, it was fine for him to borrow. Um, he had to borrow it. And it was a reasonable thing for him to ask. But he was using it. And that axe head fell into the water. I'm tempted to tell some stories about uh, things that go wrong with axes, but we won't. I'll, I'll exercise a self-restraint. <laughs> so he was using that axe, and some of you know, uh, sometimes you have an axe or a maul that, that uh, is old, and maybe the wood uh, shaft is, is a little dry, and, and maybe that head's a little loose, and, and maybe you shouldn't really be using it. Maybe it's time to retire it, but you know, it's worked all these years, so you give it another whack, and whoo, off that axe head or that maul head goes, and, and uh, hopefully it goes into water or something safe like that and not into someone else. <laughs> so, so it goes into the water, and the man is alarmed. He doesn't know where it's gone, and he cried out. And we may be tempted from our modern standpoint to think, that's so dramatic. He cried out. Okay. You had a real need to help out with a project and you needed a truck and you don't make a very big salary you'd never be able to buy a truck on your own many of us know what that's you just you, you wouldn't even think about it you not not a new truck not not the kind of truck that you need the power to to do this project and you borrow a neighbor's relatively new pickup truck what does that run these days and you're maybe young guy and 
and you're working, but you don't make that kind of much. And all of a sudden, you're using the truck, you're careful, you're being responsible in something outside of your control. You total the truck that you borrowed. You're going to cry out. What do I do? And even that illustration probably doesn't measure up to the seriousness of this man's need. He's, he's, the iron is extremely valuable, extremely rare at this point. He's going to be in serious debt. That's why he cries out. He is, he is in difficulty and he's afraid and rightly so. That's why he cries out. Alas, my master, it was borrowed. I think it's very encouraging, and Dale Ralph Davis points this out, to, to, to reflect that God included this portion in his word to reinforce to us that our God is the kind of God who hears the fears of his people, of his wordmen, of his meager word men and women, his men and women who love him, love his word. He hears their fears. This man's afraid. Without any wrongdoing, he's found himself in a situation where he's, he's in a serious need. And we can be as well. We can find ourselves in a place where it may be a very practical matter in our life. It may be finances. It may be, it may be a matter of health. It may be a, just a, a practical need. How many of us in this room can testify moments in our life, particularly maybe those of us who are older when we were younger and, and means were limited, and we didn't know how a bill was going to be paid, what we were going to do for a vehicle. And we have stories here tonight that we could spend the rest of tonight and on and on of recounting how we had a very real need We're not saying it was on par with global advance of the gospel, but it was a very real need. And we prayed to God earnestly, and we really were in a pickle. We were in trouble, and we can testify God met the need. And he met it in some extraordinary ways. But what kind of, what a God we have that hears our need, hears our fears, and then thirdly tonight and finally meets our need. He minds his wordmen, he hears their fears, and he meets the needs of his wordmen. This is a need. It's not a wish. We can be a little careless, I think, sometimes with our prayers. We, we should pray for everything, but we should revere God. And we should remember that God is not a, uh, a dispensary in the sky. He is the sovereign most high. Our prayers should reflect the priorities of Scripture. Our prayers should reflect some of the language that we find in the Psalms. And, and, we should never be too proud to ask our God for what seemingly is the smallest but very real need. Because he promises to supply and meet our needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus, right? And so God uh, has Elisha there, and he asked where to fall. Verse 6, showed him the place, pretty amazing, cut off a stick, threw it in there. Why? What's the significance of that? I don't know. Do you? 
I'm sure he could probably come up with something, but, but I think he just knew from God that this is going to be a sign, this is going to be a miraculous event to glorify God. So he cuts off a stick, throws it in there, and it made the iron float. The iron floated. And did Elisha make that float? No. The God of Elisha made that iron float. Iron doesn't float. That's not how it works. Unless God is involved. So Elisha said, take it up for yourself. So he sent forth his hand and took it. It's rather mundane, the details there. But again, I find that incredibly encouraging. That God knows who we are, little people that we are. He knows the culture and the society we're in. He knows the evil days we're in. He knows us even in our smallness and our meagerness. And he hears our fears even when they're about axe heads in the water or a need for a car or a bill that we don't know how it's going to be paid. And when we ask him in sincerity, he'll meet that need and he'll glorify himself through it. What a gracious God we have. I find this incredibly encouraging but also convicting because I don't want to get to that place where, and you don't either, where we forget to ask our God for these kinds of needs. And that's partly why, as we close, why we have a time of prayer on Sunday evenings as a church body. And sometimes, it's not that in our prayer time we should ask for every little thing publicly, but we should be coming with an awareness of some of our needs and some of the needs around us, not just materially, but spiritually. And we want to ask him, let's not be too proud and self-sufficient. Let's cry out. So let's say, alas, my God, it was borrowed. I'm in trouble. Please help me. And let's give him the opportunity to glorify himself by meeting the needs of his little people in love. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you so much for this account. We are amazed at how you, the great and mighty ancient of days, attended by myriads and myriads of angels, who are you who are sovereign over all things that you are mindful of the lost axe heads in the lives of your people. Thank you. What God is like you, a tender father. We bless you and help us to be like these word men of old and like Elisha, to be men and women of God who are not too proud to be counted as nothing in the eyes of the world. And when we have our needs to cry out to you, we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.